Well, a few years ago, I traveled to Zambia to visit, visit one of our uh, mission sites, and to save a little money, I, I chose to take a, a, a route that had me on four different planes. It was about 48 hours of either being on flights or in airports, and it was uh, an international flight in which I had good intentions to sleep, but I didn't sleep at all. Uh, because I'm in front of a screen on these planes and their new movie releases. And at the time, my kids were three and one, so I hardly watched any movies back at home. So I just would watch a, a movie and convince myself I was still awake enough to watch another one. So about 48 hours, didn't sleep at all. When I landed, landed in Zambia, I was exhausted. And I knew on day two is when I started teaching a class, it was going to go for about six days, around six to eight hours a day being with students. So when we got to the place in Zambia, to the mission site, they decided that was the best day for us to go sightseeing. So we got in a car and we're driving around. And I don't know if you've ever had those moments in your life when you have been so exhausted, there is nothing you can do to stay awake. Like you're trying to hold your eyelids open, but it, it's, it's not working. And for me, this was one of those times. It didn't matter if I, there was coffee or sodas or one store that had some jerky. I don't know what kind of jerky it was, but I bought it. It, was, it may have been mamba jerky or monkey jerky. I don't know. I just was trying anything to keep me awake. Nothing could keep me awake. And it's possible for us to go through life in times when we're half awake or half caring. Times when we're so tired we can't pay attention. Times we're so distracted that uh, maybe we don't even care. Times we're so focused on us that we aren't focused on other people. Or times we're so focused on others we're not focusing on ourselves. So the vision of our church that we launched back, back in April that now you see around this facility and on our website and you also hear us talk about our vision is that we want to be about awakening people to the greatness of Jesus. To live lives that are awake where we are paying attention to who Jesus is. So there are times where people ask me, describe this hope you have. Like, what is this hope? And I, sometimes I don't want to sound so churchy or over-spiritual, but basically my response is hope is it's Jesus. Hope is in a person. Hope is in a story that we read about, redemption that came through a person, through, through Jesus. That's hope. Hope is in Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We serve a God who doesn't change. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says salvation is found in no one else but in one name, Jesus. Salvation isn't found through a belief system or through your effort, but through Jesus. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest command? And in Mark 12, Jesus is going to root spirituality in one and I guess two commands that you'll find in Mark 12. So if you want to be turning in your Bibles there, go for it. We'll get there in just a few moments. I want to begin here just for just a minute or two and just say a happy new year to everyone. It's great to see people who are here in person today. For those of you online, thank you for being with us. As we start a new year, 52 Sundays that we will have together in which I know Sunday morning isn't everything that happens in the life of a church, but it's a special moment, a special hour or so of connection, of a launching point. And I ha I'm making a commitment to you that I want you to know how seriously I take what I do, that I, I, I am not going to stand up at all this year and rely on my degrees or my effort or my work ethic. But when I stand in front of you to talk and preach and say things about God, this comes from a place of anointing and I want to be able to step up from the presence of God. That's more important than anything else. 
more than any book or scholarly work I can read in preparation for a sermon is that you have a leader who's stepping up as someone who's been in the presence of God. My commitment is to be a voice for the Lord. My commitment is to try to be a voice for many of you of what it's like trying to live out faith in the times we are living in right now. And here is my ask for you. It's for those of you who are members of this church is to stay connected with us through seasons of transition. Through times this year where we have a, we have a lot of decisions we're gonna have to make and we're gonna make these with the best wisdom we have in front of us, wisdom from God, from science, from relationships. And my ask for those of you who may be either here in person this morning or tuning in, who maybe you started off a new year and you're thinking, you know what, I'm going to give this church thing a try. Maybe you don't know where you are in faith or where you are with Jesus or, or where you are with the church, but you're giving it a shot this morning. And my ask for you is will you give us just one month, just four to six weeks, just stay with us, stay connected to us, and let's just see what God will do in your life and in all, all of our lives. I'm excited about a few things this year. Our elders are making a deeper commitment to prayer than even in the past. And I think it would be hard for elders, the way I know many of you, to make deeper commitments to prayer. But many Wednesday nights throughout this year, our elders are committing time to either be in person or online praying over this church. I make a commitment to you because it is a Sunday morning right now when we are together that Kip and myself and other leaders who help put together worship services and worship experiences. They're gonna put everything we have into these moments to keep us connected in person and online that we, we care so much more than just singing songs that people like or speaking some things that we think people may like, but we want to help connect people to God. And beginning this Saturday, the second Saturday of every month throughout this year. So if you could go to your calendar and you could circle the second Saturday of every month, January through December, we're gonna have a worship service once a month on, at five o'clock on Saturday nights. You can come in person, you can join us virtually and we're calling it The Awakening. It's gonna be a service, a time for us to sing a few songs, have a, a time of worship, a time of teaching and a time of focused, intense prayer. We just want to have a time this year where we're crying out to God for revival and for awakening. So the awakening service, our first one, is this Saturday night at 5 o'clock. Uh, there are times I like to know when a finish line is. When I'm on a road trip with the family, I like to know, okay, we only have this many more miles until we can get out of this van. For those of you who are runners, when you see a finish line... There's probably some joy that comes over you. You're almost through. Even when we watch Netflix or something on Amazon Prime or Disney Plus these days, you can touch the screen or touch a button and you know how much longer you have with that show until it's over. We like having finish lines. And we just came to the end of a finish line where there was a countdown to Christmas or a countdown to the end of 2020. And now we move into a new year and we still don't know where the finish line is with COVID and with this sickness and with things returning to quote unquote normal, we just don't know. We do know 2020 is not coming into the future with us. We know that we were all marked in ways by 2020, so it's our responsibility to try to remember in healthy ways. And for a few people in the life of this church, even though we're a few days into 2021, 2021 has already gotten off to a rough start. Just in the last couple of weeks in the life of our church, we've lost a few people a couple of them were elderly saints who've meant a lot to my life, and some of you too were Karen, Carolyn Rogers and Tom Sawyer passed away. And just a couple of days ago, Chris Harris, 
who had been a longtime member who still has a lot of relatives in this church suddenly passed away. And I just want to encourage all of us as we move into a new year, reach for hope, reach for God. Don't give up on faith. Don't give up on God because God's not given up on us. There's still a mission in front of us. There's still a life to live. And 2021 is a year, it's a year of God because what year isn't a year of God? So open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. There's an anchoring point in this story, an anchoring point that we're going to spend the next seven weeks talking about this. It's an anchoring point. It's a, a time when Jesus talks about the core of spirituality, a time when Jesus is asked about like, what is the center of spirituality? What's the center of faith? And it starts in Mark chapter, well, it doesn't start, but in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, you have this moment where this teacher of the law, a scribe in some of your versions, he came and he heard them debating. There were people talking with Jesus and noting that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him of all the commandments, which is the most important? And there were hundreds, over 600 commandments in the Old Testament. Jesus could have chosen from. Of all the commandments, what's the most important? And Jesus could have just responded by saying, all of them. There's, it's, it's hard just to name one. There are times I may ask my kids or people of the Ten Commandments, which one's the most important? And which maybe people will say, you know, no idols before God or don't murder. But all of them are important. Jesus could have responded in some broad way like that. Of all the commandments, which one is the greatest? Now, Mark chapter 12 happens at a time. The context is Jesus is already coming to Jerusalem. He's within just a few days of dying, of being hung on a cross. And they're trying to catch him in things that he's, that he's going to say. They're trying to catch him so they can trap him and then get the authorities to take him out. They're trying to find ways to get rid of Jesus. If you back up to Mark chapter 12, verse 12, it says the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders... All these people are looking for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and they went away. In verse 13, it says this, Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians. Pharisees and Herodians were not friends. Pharisees were Jews who were deeply committed to God, deeply committed to righteousness and to purity. And Pharisees weren't too happy with the powers of the world. They weren't too happy with the powers of, of Israel, where you had King Herod, who was living such a, a life of, of evil and immorality. Pharisees weren't happy with it. The Herodians were Jews who wanted to take serious the law of God, but who also were coming alongside of King Herod to be a champion for everything King Herod was about. They didn't like each other, but when it came to trying to take out Jesus, they team up. Pharisees and Herodians team up. They come to Jesus, and here's what happens. They come to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and they said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay it or shouldn't we? So the first trap they set to try to catch Jesus was about politics. This is a good move, right? 
Because even today, if you want, some of you are coming out of time with family. And I know some of you met with family over Thanksgiving or Christmas. Some of you didn't meet with family, but you still did Zoom calls or some kind of group call to where the family could be together a little bit. And going into some of those meals, I bet some of you had the conversations in which on the way to the place to have the meal with your family or on like about to make a call where the family's gonna be together, you set rules for your family where you told your kids, we're, we're not talking about politics. You told your spouses, hey, we're not talking about politics. Even if Uncle Herod or Uncle Henry or whoever your uncle is tries to go there, we're not taking the bait. Because you know anything you say about politics around family, around a lot of people, it's not gonna go well. The Pharisees and Herodians are like, hey, if we want to trap Jesus, let's start with politics. Because if we get him to say something against the powers of the world, we can go to the powers of the world and they'll do something about it. But if you can go and you can read Mark 12, because Jesus' response is so wise and so thoughtful, right? They, they had no way to respond to it. So then the Sadducees step in. The Sadducees weren't good friends with Pharisees or Herodians, but the Sadducees, they cared about the law of God, but Sadducees didn't believe in an afterlife. So when it came to the Sadducees, it says, who say there's no resurrection, they came to him with a question, and their question is about the end of times. So hey, if politics isn't gonna work, let's try to get him to say something about the afterlife, about the end of times. How's this all gonna go down? Is it gonna go down like a Left Behind series? Is there a rapture? Uh, are we just gonna float away? Is God gonna come and destroy the world with fires? God gonna come and bring fire and redeem and restore the world? How's this all gonna go down? So they set up a little question, a little scenario for Jesus thinking they're gonna catch him and talking about the afterlife or the end of life, but Jesus responded in a way to them that was so thoughtful and so wise that they couldn't trap him. So then you get this teacher of the law who he asks Jesus about the center of spirituality. Let's ask him about the center of the Jewish faith. And let's see how he does with this one. So in verse 28, they say, one of the teachers of the law came, heard them debating, noticing Jesus had given them good answers. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And here's how Jesus responds. The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. So Jesus responds with what the Jews call the Shema. There is no one who is in the presence of Jesus when Jesus responded to him in this way. They were sitting around thinking, what's he quoting from? Was that Mark Twain? Was that Beethoven? Nobody was questioning where it came from. Everybody knew where it came from. Because any Jew, even up to this day, the first prayer they are taught to pray is the Shema, the Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jews are taught to pray this twice a day. When you wake up, you recite and you pray this. Before you go to bed, you recite and you pray this. From birth, they are taught how to pray like this. Now, maybe you didn't grow up being taught the Shema, or maybe you didn't grow up teaching your kids the Shema, but we 
We try to raise our children to pray in certain ways. There are times we give them certain formulas to pray. Maybe it's praying over the food. Maybe it's praying over bedtime, praying grace, praying a blessing. There are times we try to give them that, and there are times we just we want our kids to learn how to connect to God in any way. Just talk to God like he's a friend. We have uh, just a number of stories of prayers that my kids have prayed over us uh, before. And many of them just melt our hearts and some of us still to this day make us laugh. Uh, there have been a number of Saturday nights or Sunday mornings when the boys will lay their hands on me and they'll, they'll pray or times where Casey's going to go speak somewhere and, and we'll lay our hands on Casey and we'll pray. Uh, my kids were praying over me one time and my youngest prayed this prayer. Dear God, be with my dad as he preaches tomorrow. And help him not to fall asleep in his sermon. <laughs> because that would be bad. In Jesus' name, amen. That was his prayer. Because it wasn't just help people not to fall asleep in my dad's sermon. It was help my dad not fall asleep in his own sermon. And there are times like that. It's like, man, just stick to the prayers we taught you to pray growing up, right? Like Jesus and all these Jews around him had been taught to pray the Shema. They've been taught this twice a day, every day of your life. You recite it, you know it. So when it comes to Jesus talking about the greatest command, he's not saying anything that they hadn't already prayed in that day. But he talks about it in a way of how you can recite this all you want. But trying to apply this in your life is one of the most difficult things you're ever going to do. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 6, or verse 4 through 9, where in Deuteronomy 6 is where the Shema is given. The word Shema means to listen or to hear. Which is interesting that the most important word in the Jewish faith isn't a word about to do or to serve, it's the word Shema, which is to listen. The most important word in the Jewish faith that has formed the Jewish faith is to pay attention and to listen. Like, let this get inside of you. You've got to listen and pay attention to this. And then Jesus adds, Deuteronomy 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. So the Shema doesn't include love your neighbor as yourself, but when Jesus talks about the greatest commands, he extends, he wants everybody to understand when you try to get the Shema right about loving God with everything you have, this isn't just something for your connection to God. This is good for the entire world. You love the Lord your God with everything you have and you love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I think it would be good for you to even look at Mark 12 and commit it, like being able to recite it yourself multiple times a day. And the Shema, what Jesus says is the greatest commands, isn't just loving God and loving neighbors. Jesus understands that the Shema doesn't begin with loving God. The Shema begins with recognizing and stating that hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. That's how the Shema begins. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love the neighbors yourself. Jesus lays this in front of them as something to recite and something to apply. Which reciting this, knowing this, isn't the hardest thing to do, right? It's trying to apply it in every facet of our lives. It's a lifelong journey. 
So in this church, our mission statement is that we want to help people see Jesus. Our vision is to be about the, the awakening people, awakening ourselves to the greatness of Jesus. And the Jesus that we are chasing after, the Jesus who is chasing after us, boils down spirituality, breaks down spirituality to this. It's knowing who God is, the Lord is one. You love the Lord your God with everything you have and you love your neighbor as yourself. One way we're trying to do this at Sycamore View is about six to seven months ago, we launched what we are calling our core values because we realize that when it comes to being the church, it's not just what you believe, it's that your behavior lines up with what you believe. Because you can believe all the right things about God. You can believe a number of things that are right about the church, yet behave in a way that doesn't align with your belief, and therefore people around you don't want to know what you believe because the way you behave doesn't line up with your belief. So I think the way the New Testament works is the New Testament isn't just interested in helping you believe right, it's trying to help us to behave right. So our, we laid out these eight core values that hopefully will help shape behavior and generate passion and align us with the heart and character of God. Our values are that we anticipate the movement of God. That God is not just someone in the past or in a far off future, that God is doing something now. And when we come into church and when we enter into every day of our lives, we're anticipating what God's gonna do. Our core values, the second one is that we hold up discipleship as the mission of the church. So this isn't just that we're interested in helping people have a conversion moment where they go from unsaved to saved or lost to found, as important as those decisions are. It's that we help people realize that the call of God is this lifelong pursuit of looking more and more like Jesus. Our third core value is that we want to help connect people to God. It's a value that helps us ask God to give us a burden for lost people and people who are disconnected from faith or from the church or from Jesus that we want to care about these things. We have a core value that is aligning or uh, that we care about physical and mental health. Because if you read the four gospels and you see how Jesus interacts with people, Jesus cares about setting the body right, the heart right, the soul right, and the mind right. And we felt like this was important for us because if you look at any prayer list, most prayer lists have a lot of physical ailments on it, which is fine. We want to help. We want to pray in faith that God will make these well. We also know, especially in the times we're living in right now, that there is so much anxiety and depression that we want God to set the mind right. And we want to be a safe place where people whose minds may be a little off can come to the leaders and prayer leaders and to this church and say, I'm a little off. I need some help. We have a core value of uh, that we willingly stand with the marginalized, the poor, the orphan, the widow, the stranger. That we don't reluctantly stand with the marginalized. We don't half-heartedly stand with the marginalized. We willingly stand with the marginalized because on the margins is where you're gonna find, where you're gonna find Jesus. We have a commitment that we are honored to carry a ministry of reconciliation because we realize that God is in and through Jesus and in and through the church, God is reconciling all things to God. Uh, all people, generations, races are being reconciled to God. We have a part to play in this. One of our core values is we strive to give the next generation a compelling story to live into because we want to model and live out our faith in a way where the next generation, because there's always going to be a next generation. 
where they see the way we're pursuing God and they want in on it. And last but not least, we have a core value reminding us we are a restoration movement. We're not a preservation movement. We aren't called to preserve the church. We're called to partner with God and join God and how God is restoring the entire world. And there are going to be times when, as a church, we look at and we focus on some of these core values and we get it. And there are going to be times when these core values are going to frustrate us. And there are times are going to frustrate us because we don't understand them. And there are times are going to frustrate us because we understand them perfectly. They're just calling us to a way of life that's hard. Yet when you look at how Jesus boils down and breaks down spirituality, it's this, Right? It's who God is. It's loving this God with everything we have. And that through that and in that, we learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. And with this in place, we have a chance this year to live a life that helps other people know that Jesus is the greatest decision you could ever make. We have a chance this year to pray in ways where eternity is on the line and to believe for great things. We have a chance, chance this year as a church to join together in worshiping a God with everything we have and in return be informed and shaped into the image of Jesus. We have a chance to serve this God and to make an impact on the community and the world around us. So let's go forward today. Loving God, loving neighbors, reciting this, but even more, learning what it means to apply this to every part of our lives. If there's anything we can do for you as you kick off your own year, we have leaders here who are willingly ready to receive you. After this service for the in-person crowd, out these doors to the right, we'll have an elder to receive you for prayer or counseling, whatever it is you need for those online or those in person. If you go to our website, sycamoreview.org, a connect card, it's the first thing you'll see. Click on it and give us ways we can pray for you, ways we can come alongside of you. Can we close our eyes, bow our heads, and let's pray together. My prayer today, God, is this. It's for your, your Holy Spirit to be upon us, to teach and preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to pro proclaim release to the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Through the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.